The invitation to the table is an invitation to share the gospel and to share in the gospel. The gospel is still the centerpiece. It has to be. If it's not the centerpiece, we can all just go home. There's really not any reason to be here. There are better humanitarian organizations out there than the Central Church of Christ. There are better organized philanthropic organizations. Uh, there are better educational institutions, right? There are entities out there that do some of the things we do and do them very well. What distinguishes a church of Jesus Christ? It's the Jesus and the gospel at the center of it all. It has to be there. So this is an invitation then to share in the gospel. Now normally when someone like me stands here and says, I need you to share the gospel, what you have in mind might be this idea of evangelism. The idea of taking the information of the gospel to a person who does not know that information and persuading them that that's important. And that's what we normally mean when I say share the gospel. Today, though, I actually do mean something different. Something else, that's true, do that. But something else that is very important to what it means to welcome people to Christ's table. Sharing is participation. When I ask you to come over to my house and share in a meal, imagine this now. I say, we're going to invite you over, I want to share a meal with you. And you come to our home and you sit at our table and we have all the food out and we say, this is what dinner looks like. Thank you. Uh, and then you leave. Right? I think you're disappointed. I think that's not what you bargained for. You're guessing that I wasn't going to show you food. I wasn't going to even describe it to you. And this is our uh, steak that we made on my grill today. It's very tasty. Goodbye. Right? You, you don't want me to tell you about it. You expected, when I say I want to share a meal with you, to participate in an activity to sit down and bodily participate in eating with my family and to share it in that way. That's the notion of sharing and participation I want to emphasize today. That what we're trying to accomplish here is more than just what sometimes we call head knowledge. Okay? I'm a big fan of head knowledge. I'm an academic guy. I think you know most things are better in books, and that's the way I like to live my life. But Christianity says, that's nice, Ben, but that's not all of it. Christianity says, in fact, the biggest portion of it is outside of that, in a participation and sharing in the gospel itself. This comes up in a variety of places in the New Testament. So you might listen to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, talking about communion. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? See what Paul does there? He points to this common symbol that we're familiar with, the idea of there being a cup, and imagine this has bread on it, and it has these two elements that they would have participated in in their communion meal, and he points to that, and he says, I know it looks like a cup, and I know it looks like bread, but what is it? The cup is participation in the blood of Christ. It is fellowship in, it is sharing in the blood of Christ. The bread is participation in the body of Christ. It is sharing in, it is you taking part of the gospel, literally internalizing the gospel, not just in your head, but with your body, sharing that around a table and saying, this is the body and blood of Christ. 
That's the way he uses that word. Listen to it again in Philippians 2, 1 and 2, where Paul's talking about unity and the work of the Spirit. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any uh, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, having a full accord and one mind. He says, we want to have unity. How do we have unity? He says, it's by participating in the Spirit. Notice what he doesn't say there. It's not from having a very good theology of the Spirit. You should. That'd be great. Not from having a particularly well-articulated doctrine of the Spirit. Again, you should. That would be great. But he says, no, it's not about knowing something about the Spirit. It is about having fellowship in, participating in, sharing the work of the Spirit. When the Spirit is at work in you, and the Spirit is at work in me, and the Spirit is in work in us, we share something together that is very hard to divide. Right? How can two people have the same Spirit actually at work in their lives and then hate each other? That doesn't make any sense. It's exclusive of that. So he says, I want you to participate in the Spirit. That's the sense of what we want to try to get across today. The idea that sharing the gospel is participation. We don't want you to just know something. You should know. We don't want you to just affirm or be persuaded by something. I want all those things. But we want you to actually participate and share in the gospel. To explain why that might matter, I want to take us on a strange excursion to a very weird place, and then we'll come back around. So just hang on for a minute, because now I get to do something very nerdy and talk about the Nag Hammadi Library. Okay? What I want to talk about for just a minute, once upon a time, there was a heretical quasi-Christian group known as the Gnostics. If you're coming on to our Wednesday night class through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we're talking about them quite a lot, and we're going to mention them again this morning. The Gnostics uh, believed in some of the ideas of Christianity, but they also blended them with their own particular brand of philosophy and mysticism. Uh, if you go on the internet or watch the History Channel, they'll tell you that that's, this was the rival version of Christianity that got squashed by those mean people in Rome, and this is what real Christianity was supposed to be till it wasn't. Okay, that's rubbish for what it's worth. Um, they'll also tell you that they had these secret Gospels that are hidden in the Vatican somewhere. You can buy the uh, Nag Hammadi Library at Barnes & Noble. It's not a secret, I promise. It's, just, it's out there. The Nag Hammadi Library is one of the few places where we actually have information about this ancient sect of Christianity. It was discovered by a farmer in Egypt in 1945, kind of tripped over it out in his field, and it was a collection of documents written by the Gnostics that lived in this community a thousand, fifteen hundred, so on, years before, that had written down what they thought Christianity was about. And in it, it talks about, there's one section that's titled Baptism. You know, they practice baptism, and they explain what they thought it was about. And it tells us a lot about what Christianity is not. So let me, I'll just read this section with you briefly. I cut out some of the bits just for sake of time. But early Gnostic Christians believed that at baptism, you transcended from this, quote, from the blindness of the world into the sight of God, from the carnal into the spiritual, from the physical into the angelic. We were brought from seminal bodies into bodies with a perfect form. Indeed, I entered by way of example the remnant for which the Christ rescued us in the fellowship of His Spirit, and He brought us forth 
who are in Him. And from now on, the souls will become perfect spirits. I know, stay with me. This is weird and dense and not something we normally cover. Not a lot of Gnostic sermons in my repertoire, but just stay with me for a minute. What the Gnostics believed, and they practiced baptism, what they taught was that when you were baptized, you escaped being human a little bit. Every religion says there's a disease and a cure. The Gnostics believed being human was the disease. Being a flesh and blood human being was what was wrong with you. And what the gospel was about was to escape humanity, to escape flesh and blood. And so they taught, for example, that when Jesus was baptized in Jordan, that he came up out of the water and didn't have a flesh and blood body. He was the spiritual transcendent demigod who could show us how to be perfect too. And so in their own kind of weird mystical way, they had this notion that what's wrong with you is being human and that Christianity was trying to escape your humanity. Okay, With me so far? That's what the Gnostics taught. And that's what the church ultimately rejected for a whole lot of reasons. The Gnostics believed the gospel was about leaving behind your humanity and the things that make you human. John, on the other hand, the apostle, believes that is not at all what the gospel is about. So in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8, he gives this little cryptic statement that only makes sense if you know that he's arguing with Gnostics. Like if you just read it out of nowhere, you say, I have no idea what John's talking about. But when you get that he's arguing with Gnostics, suddenly something about Christianity becomes crystal clear. Listen to what he says. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. He says, you have something about Christianity right. It's all about Jesus. You're right about that. He was baptized in water. You're right about that. He says, but you left something out. Something that makes sense of the story. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, if you transcend humanity and you leave your body behind and you're Casper the ghost floating through the ether, you don't have any blood to shed. Right? You can't crucify a ghost. And so what John says is you're missing something huge about the Gospel. Something that I witnessed firsthand that this Jesus really did have a flesh and blood body. You see the difference? I'm going to start to kind of build on this. The Gnostics believed the problem was you needed to escape your humanity. The Gospel says God came to share our humanity. Those aren't slightly different. Those are fundamentally different. Absolute opposites. The Gnostics said you have to escape your humanity. The Gospel said God became human to redeem our humanity. That He had a body like you had a body. He wasn't trying to, he's not a person who had a body and escaped it. He is God Almighty who put on flesh to live among us. He had blood like you have blood. And John said, I saw it. I was there. I know he bled. He participated in our humanity. He's not trying to get us out of it, he's trying to make it right. And that difference is of extraordinary importance to John. 
John claims that the Gnostics had gotten a huge part of the Gospel wrong. That you're trying to escape everything down here and go somewhere else. He says, no, the Gospel is about God putting it right. The problem is not your humanity. When God made you, He created the entire universe and He said it is good. And then on day six, He made you folks and He said it is very good. Being human isn't the problem. God made us and He said you will be in my image. Being human isn't the problem. We introduce the problem. We introduce sin. We introduce this other thing that poisoned the well. And even having done that, God then came and assumed our humanity and became like us and bled and died to redeem and make good again what was good at the start. So he says in verses 7 and 8, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. He says it's the same message. If you have some version of baptism that disagrees with the blood, you've got the wrong thing. If you've got some idea about the Spirit that disagrees with the blood, you've got the wrong Spirit. He says there's three parts, three components of Christian doctrine that you have to get to get the Gospel right. And it's the water and the Spirit and the blood. If you read John's Gospel then, you'll hear him reference these three from time to time as he's telling the story of Christ. Christ was going to show us who he is by participating in water, blood, and spirit. This is John chapter 1, 29-31. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John the Baptist here, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom it is said, or I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Why did John baptize people? Now, one answer would be, and it wouldn't be a bad answer, uh, to help people who were in sin. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, it says, John baptized for the remission of sins. That's a good answer. But here, John says, actually, there's another reason I baptize people. Because I wanted to use baptism to reveal to Israel the Messiah. I wanted there to be something that you participated in and he shared in that by the direction of God would show you who he is. You remember when he baptized Jesus? Jesus complained, or excuse me, John complained. John said, I should be the one being baptized by you. If this is all about sin, I'm the sinner. You're the righteous one. We should do this the other way around. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so now to fulfill the righteousness, right? To make it possible for people to see. And so he was baptized in water. And John says, this is the one. And then heaven said the same thing John did. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John said, I didn't even know the whole story. But when I baptized him, the same person who told me to go out and baptize shouted something else at me. He said, when you see the Spirit come down, that's the one. And John says, I baptized Jesus in the waters of Jordan. And the Spirit came down. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is Him. And so again, in John's Gospel, what do we got? 
Jesus being shown to be who He is by the water. Being shown to be who He is by the Spirit. But that's not all. You fast forward to the end of the Gospel and you get this cryptic little statement from the foot of the cross itself. But when they came to Jesus and saw that He was already dead, they did not break His legs. But one of the soldiers pierced His side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and He knows what He is telling the truth that you also may believe. Isn't that a weird little statement? couple of things there. He emphasizes, okay, they didn't break his bones. That has prophetic significance, and that's a sermon for another day. He emphasizes that they pierced him in the side. He emphasizes that he bled. I mean, is that a detail you needed to know? If I say I stabbed a guy with a spear, do you assume there's blood? And you do. That's, that's not something, uh, it's not a shock to you. And he bled. Like, no, of course he bled. But John is emphasizing, he says, water and blood. <laughs> you know, there was water there too, but there was blood. And then, at the end, he emphasizes it in the strangest way possible. He says, I was there and I saw it. Again, for me, I want to know, who are you trying to convince, John? I, I have no doubt that Jesus died on a cross. I have no doubt that somebody stabbed him with a spear. I have no doubt that when you stab someone with a spear, they bleed. Who's John arguing with? He's arguing with people who believed that Christianity is all about leaving your humanity behind. That Jesus became some kind of spirit demigod who left it all behind and he wouldn't have any blood to shed. John says, I was there. I was there. I saw it. There was blood. Jesus was not a ghost. He was one of us. He died as a man dies. And everything that happens when a man dies happened to him. He hurt. He moaned in agony. He bled. He died. He participated in our humanity. He didn't just know about it. He didn't read a book about being human. He became human. And as one of us, died. John says, I was there. I saw the blood. So now go back and read what he said in 1 John again. This is He who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. John says this is what Christianity is about. Christ came and participated and our humanity in order to save it. How then do we participate in the water, blood, and spirit? Because remember, that's only half the story. Go back to the original point. I invite you to my table. I say, I want to share a meal with you. What if I eat the meal in front of you and you get to watch? Again, you're not happy. Did we share the meal? No. I ate a meal and you watched. Okay. So now we've got half the story. Jesus came and shared in our humanity. Water, blood, and spirit testify. How do I share in Jesus Christ? How do I share in water, blood, and spirit? Well, I put stuff on the stage to kind of help you get there that we don't have to actually imagine. Christianity and Christian doctrine for two millennia has had these beautiful, tangible symbols of participation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We participate in the blood of Jesus Christ in His death, His body, His blood, in this meal that we call communion. It's been done in different ways throughout the centuries, uh, very different ways. Early on, it was probably around a common table in somebody's house. Uh, down through the years, it took on a lot of pageantry under the uh, offices of Rome. Uh, in Protestant churches, it tends to be simpler. We've done it with a table. We've done it from the back. We've done it with packets. And who knows the way we'll do it next. But the symbol remains. There is this meal. There is bread and there's a cup. And anybody else, any stranger comes in and they say, that's very nice. You've got bread and you have some nice welches there or something in a cup. We don't see that. When we see that and when we partake we say this is Christ's body, and this is His blood. This is us participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the same way that Jesus participated in our humanity. We participate in that story, and we share it amongst all of us. The way He became us, we become as Him and partake of His story. We do it when we share baptism. Baptism is kind of a strange thing. Uh, not every day you get into a tub of water in front of a bunch of people. And if I show this to people, it's strange. Again, baptism's been done a lot of different ways through the years. Uh, early on, they had kind of a hole they'd fill up with water quite often, and they would take somebody and just kind of push them down into it. Uh, a lot of times they do it at a creek or a crick, for those of you who grew up like I did, or, or a stream or the River Jordan or wherever they could find water. Um, I've done it in um, horse troughs. Uh, I've done it uh, in tubs like this and tubs like that. I've done it in pools, uh, lakeside, right? A lot of different ways, and who knows what we'll come up with next. Um, I knew of a tribe in Africa where it rained exactly once a year, right? It was a desert region, and uh, they would wait for the rain to come where they had any water, and the water wasn't so much water as it was kind of a mud pit, and they would roll around in it, and they said, this is as close as we can get to baptism because it's all the water we got. I'm not suggesting we go that route particularly, but what is it? Why, why insist on something like that, and why did it matter to them? It mattered because it was participation. You look at this, some person coming in off the street and says, hmm, interesting tub of water. What we see is Jordan. We see Jesus going into the water and the Spirit descending and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see Sunday morning. We see a resurrection. We see the Christ that died over there raised to life over here. And in that same fashion, we participate. Having killed the old man of sin, God raises up someone new, a new creature, to begin a new life, looking forward to what is to come. We participate in that. And a third symbol I'll throw in is the Word itself. Christians are and have always been book people. Historically, we're told that Christians kind of invented the book. Uh, up until the time of Christianity, you had everything on scrolls, and Christians liked the idea of a book. And so we kind of invented the book called the Codex, was the original version of it, to have our literature in one place. We have always been book people. Okay? And we would put the book up here in the front. Medieval period, it might be chained to the podium. Later on, it might be so readily available you could carry it around. Today, it's on your phone in an app. Why do I have a Bible up here? 
even think about that. Just a side note about preaching. Why do I have a Bible up here? Would it surprise you to learn I have not read one word from this Bible the whole time it was up here today? Partially because I'm going blind and I can't see it anymore. Uh, I can need bigger print. And so I make the words really big and put them on the screen on the back and I read off that because I can actually see it. Well, then why do I even have a Bible up here if I'm going to read the words up at the back? Because it's a symbol. Because it means something. Because the person that's going to come up and tell us about Christianity better have a Bible in his hand. He ought to have it open in front of us. And so the first thing I do every time I come up here and preach is to lay this big Bible down. This isn't my study Bible. I actually only use it on Sundays. (laughs) I bring it up. It's a big Bible, and it represents something. Whether I'm reading it off an app or off the screen or off a memory verse from when I was a kid, the book represents something, that the Spirit of God is my teacher, that the Spirit is at work amongst us, in the same way he was at work among the people whose lives are described by these pages, and he was at work in the men who wrote these pages. This is a symbol of the work of the Spirit continuing in our lives today. So you see these three things that we do, it's not performance art, it's participation. We read it for ourselves, we pick it up, we carry it around, and we want to know about it because we want to invite the Spirit in. We are driven to the cross. We are raised in His resurrection. And we are led by His Spirit. And in that way, we participate and we share the Gospel together. Or, may I say it a different way, because of the cross, we are passion-driven. Because of the new life and baptism, we can be forward-thinking. And because of His Word and His apostles and His guidance and His abiding Spirit, we can be Spirit-led. Through those things, we participate in the gospel of Christ. And that's what we are inviting and welcoming everyone to. When we say the Central Church of Christ will welcome everyone to Christ's table, we are not inviting you here to see uh, some especially good music. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's, sometimes it's music, right? That's the way it is. We don't have a professional choir up here that's going to wow you with our artistry. We're not inviting you here to participate in the world's finest facility. It's a pretty good facility. I like it. But that's not our selling point, is it? There are better facilities. And heaven knows there are better preachers you could hear on a Sunday morning. Way more entertaining than me with much better and cooler microphones. What are we inviting you to when we say everyone is welcome to Christ's table? It's not any of those things. It's not performance art. It's participation in the gospel of Christ. We want you to partake in each symbol of the gospel of Christ until it is a part of you the same way he became one of us. Today we're going to end with that invitation. If today you realize you have not participated in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you need to, begin today and make the day you begin that participation. Not just a knowledge of, but a sharing in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. We can help you in any way. Won't you come?